welcome. This is Dave Douglas. This is the Greenleaf Music Podcast, A Noise from the Deep, and that is the music of Kate Gentile. Kate's a drummer, percussionist, composer based in Brooklyn, and she's involved in a lot of really interesting new music projects coming out of the scene in Brooklyn and around the world. Um, I was thrilled to be able to invite her to play on my new recording here at Greenleaf Engage, and she sounds great on that, but I wanted to ask her about her own quite complex and interesting compositions, her writing, her concepts, her bands, uh, and also her side musician projects. Um, I also wanted to get a solid confirmation on how to pronounce her name. So we talked about all of that and a lot more. Just to remind you, you can email me directly about this show at podcast at greenleafmusic.com. And you can also subscribe to Greenleaf Music through Bandcamp. Please check it out. You can get there through our site at greenleafmusic.com and you'll get access to our entire catalog, including exclusive music just for subscribers. It's a sustainable way that we're supporting new music and musicians, building a community and keeping this idea of documenting creative music alive. And we hope you'll join us. That's greenleafmusic.com, and thanks. And here's the interview with Kate Gentile. Thanks for listening. Kate Gentile, thanks so much for being here. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Thanks for uh, saying my name correctly. <laughs> there is curiosity about that, isn't there? Uh, so, yeah, it's it's Gentile. And now we have cleared that up. But, uh, yeah, let's just leave that right. right. We'll just put that there. Great. <laughs> <laughs> we were listening to a track from your album Mannequins from 2017 called Unreasonable Optimism all lowercase, and uh, in case you were wondering, but that's the correct pronunciation. <laughs> uh, you, you've been now with a lot of groups on a lot of different records, and there's a thing about the music that, uh, first of all, it's always very difficult to talk about, but second of all, there's just challenges to this music. And we can start off by talking about the music that you write and play, it's not the main attribute to it, but it's difficult. Sure. And there's a musicianship thing going on. And I was asking you in the run-up to getting to talk to you about it, um, sort of for influences or where it came from or your background and how you got to this place where you're writing um, such complex scores. Do you feel like the musicianship question is is as central to your work as maybe I'm making it out to be or is that am I misreading uh well there's there's a couple things one is that I think the farther down the rabbit hole you go and this could just mean music that you're listening to you start listening to crazier and crazier music your ears crave more things that push your ears so I definitely feel that sometimes, like, uh, how do I get this thing that has that feeling for me? And maybe that means finding some kind of rhythmic feel, like, like Unreasonable Optimism is, the entire tune is seven against six or six against seven in a couple parts, it, it flips. Um, and, and a lot of that comes from just, I'm trying to get at a different feeling because my ears crave it. But then I think about why um, and I think the musicianship thing you're asking me about, we had been talking about Eastman and I mentioned when I was there, the, the theory department and the oral skills program that you have to go through is like really rigorous, like sight singing, rhythmic modulations and tonal modulations all at once in alto clef, in like all the possible things yeah, you could I, ever have to do. I can hear that that tune is totally notated in alto clef. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good ears. <laughs> Thank you. I was hoping you'd catch that. <laughs> so No, but, 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 right, so it's about being introduced to those skills and then 
using them to go to this place where you want to go further than the things you're listening to. You right. said down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So if if you start out from a place where you, you're, I don't know. Yeah. I, I. Well, nobody asked me to play six against seven or seven against six when, when I was coming up. Nobody mentioned any of those things. Yeah. I mean, no, I, nobody asked me to. It's it's the same thing. It's just it's totally for my. It's just you know, oh, I want to I want to try doing this. Uh huh. Uh huh. So. And do you feel like when you write something like that, that the the exigency of actually physically learning it is part of the process? Yeah, I mean, I wrote out a lot of exercises for myself to work on playing mm. it, different ways of orchestrating those kinds mm. of things at the drum set. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy mm. the aspect of this stuff that is to make me better or they're almost almost like etudes for me in some ways but not sounding like etudes like they're compositions still well maybe you begin writing by thinking about different new kinds of challenges or ways of connecting rhythmic or melodic elements and then that becomes a challenge to yourself and then that becomes the piece yeah there's which is i guess what an etude is but etude sometimes People use the word and it's sort of disparaging. Like, yeah, it can be... Like it's a put down. I mean, one way of... I think people think like an exercise on an instrument, but it can also be an exercise in composing. Mm. So, you know, distinction there. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like in your case, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm... I think I'm still in the same subject area that it's both that it's the composing and the physical playing yeah totally coming from the spiritual place of how do i drive myself to a new place yeah with material that i want to hear and then you have to teach yourself to hear it yeah that's true and that is maybe something that the education you got at eastman sort of showed you the way to think about that yeah, exactly. That, you think that's accurate? or Yeah, or, or even just knowing all the stuff that seems crazy to be able to do, you can, you can teach your brain to hear anything. And I don't think you have to go to music school to do that either. I think it can mm-hmm. just happen yeah. from listening to stuff. Yeah, like anyone. yeah. That's a really good point. I, don't, I, I shouldn't be overemphasizing the music school because, of course, you're originally from Buffalo, New York, so that says everything right there, doesn't it? <laughs> Does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, a little... <laughs> the lake snow effect, you get like two feet of snow. Yep, so. yep. <laughs> There's a thing. There's musicians from Buffalo. Yeah. And yeah. You don't really identify as that. Morton Feldman, right? I believe so, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I stayed in Rochester after I was old enough to have my own apartment, so. And that's where Eastman is, so you just went went down the New York State Thruway. Yeah, pretty much. This, uh-huh. And then did you move to New York directly from there, from Eastman? No, I actually lived in Toronto for three years. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of music up there, too. Yeah. And you weren't in school there. No, no. Yeah. So what, what I have heard is that you also started coming to New York and going to the School of Improvisational Music Workshops, Ralph Alessi and... Yeah, so I, I went... While I was at Eastman over the summer, I think between my junior and senior year, 2007. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved here in 2011, I, I moved in June and then I went to Sim that I think it started during June. So it was like right when I moved to New York. Oh, great. It was sort of like jump-starting everything, meeting a whole bunch of awesome musicians and being in the right mindset, thinking about music and improvising right away. So that was Is that great. where you met Chris Speed from Squirrel Records? Um, no. When did I meet? I can't remember when I met Speed. Oh, yes, I do remember meeting Chris Speed. Uh, there's this beautiful moment on a 90-degree day. There's something about uh, fire hydrants and sprinklers. We were at Shape- Shapeshifter and then... I met him at Shapeshifter at a gig. I just remember it was a beautiful conversation or a way to meet somebody that. That's a. I don't. Okay. I can't. I wish I had a specific story. You know, I, no, I thought I, mean, I was going to be able to think of when it. When I now think I of Chris, I always think of fire hydrants and, and sprinklers. <laughs> was there a dog involved in this story? Or no, we were just we were just talking. Ah, 
Okay. I thought it was going to be a story. It's not. It's not. Well, I can't I'm remember glad you met detail. Chris and that uh, this, you know, his his label is giving a lot of people a platform to to get this music out. Yeah, it's great. Um, and it's on Bandcamp, and uh, you know, I encourage people to find it and listen to it. Um, why don't we listen to a little bit more music? Um, there's this track that's called Alchemy Melt, and it says with tilt, but it's not tilt brass. What no. is, what, 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 do, it can be whatever. With it, tilt, is that just an attitudinal? All thing, these or? titles are pretty abstract, and they can mean what you want them to mean. Some of them are anagrams or from lists of words where you know I put them together and they felt right, or some of them have like secret meanings it's it's sort of just whatever you want it to mean there is a poker phrase that i learned after i made it on tilt do you know what that is no i think it's i think people use it use it to express when they get really pissed off about something like oh, i'm really like on tilt right now oh. or but i think it also has like to do with game. playing playing your cards in a way when you think like you're on a lucky streak and it makes you play differently oh Huh. I don't, I'm not totally sure, but it, wow. there's something like that. But I didn't know that when I titled okay, it. Okay, so the, the title is abstract. The music is abstract, would you say, also? Yeah, it's definitely, like, there's, it's abstract in the sense that it's not tied to a non-music subject. Okay, makes sense. I think that's a good definition of abstraction in music, that it's not tied to anything outside the music. And also the way that you write what you're describing of, you know, working very nakedly with these elements, very sort of, this is just the bare bones idea that I'm challenging myself to hear and then going from there to create this larger piece. And knowing that you also make the visual art that goes on your album covers and I'm here seeing a whole bunch of these pieces. Is there an analog in there? Yeah, I definitely, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty visual thinker sometimes, mm. or at least it's, it's tied to how I hear things, like with textures and improvising. A lot of the time improvising, I will think of a visual analog to what the sound is. But then when I compose, I think about a cheat sort of like taking the things you would improvise in a sort of like a free improv scenario and kind of clarifying what they are. Like in some ways, free jazz can be more complex than any of this stuff I'm, you know, people are writing. But yeah. like, if you think about what the, the content actually ends up being a lot of the time, Absolutely. what it achieves. Yeah. So if you were to actually and the, transcribe... And structures yeah. can be complex, and that's a, a misunderstood element as well, I think. Yeah, and, and if, you can, if you can actually accurately transcribe something, mm. but then, like, that you would improvise from, your, from yourself and then get a whole band to play it, it's different than just, you know, one person improvising in a moment might not... Like, it has a different effect when it's composed. It's always a different feeling when it's, when it's composed, but that's, that could be a reason to do it. I want to talk some more about that, but get to some music first. But just to circle back on the visual um, art itself that you make, sure. which is not always collage, but some collage, like the, the cover of Mannequins is a collage. Yeah. And but But there's no like specific relationship to musical pieces, or would you say that there is? Like the way that you put those pieces together... Is it a similar process for you in your creative thinking? Um, I wouldn't say that there's... I think it's one of those things like in art where you ideally can make something that people can find find things in or, or see connections in, but it's not so direct that it's forced on them. Like you let it happen on their end. Right. I mean, the content... Fair enough. This, in the, the content in this case is pretty generic. I mean, it's a heart, you know, on the cover. Yeah, but it's made in a it's right, right. I'm just I'm, very I'm just, specialized way. I'm just saying there's a lot of there's a lot of ways you could, 
you know, well, art I, yeah. and music. I don't it's, mean the I don't mean the analog after the fact. I mean I mean like more. I'm, I guess I'm trying to ask you about your work process. You you know how do you transfer the creativity inside your mind and your soul, on into a final result and. Do you think that the process in music is similar to the process you use in your visual art? I guess probably, but if I, I mean, it's if too I, mysterious to really, yeah, if I, if I knew the answer to what you're talking uh-huh. about, I would be so far ahead of myself, <laughs> you know, <And> maybe <laughs> like we all would better off not knowing, but yeah, that's yeah. I have but no I, idea. Yeah. I just, I mean, it's interesting to me because everybody works so differently and everybody talks about how they work so differently and putting those things together, I just find really fascinating and having thought a lot about my own process, um, when someone is also a visual artist, I just feel like I have to ask. Yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a connection. I just, I, it's well, hard it's to say to exactly me, what it is. I mean, seeing the way that you're making your work and hearing you describe the way you make your music work, you know, from small pieces, sewing them together sure. out of little curious bits of things that grab you in ways that you might like to hear yourself play but aren't quite sure what it is then you have to figure out what it is and then put it down and hear the pipes clanking in the background and then I i think maybe one of the similarities is that it's very different every time like sometimes it starts with a larger idea like sorry my heater's really loud no i I love it it should stop in a minute we don't even have to put music on yeah great (laughs) Like sometimes it starts with like a larger idea, like a form. Uh-huh. Sometimes the visual stuff starts with a larger idea, like like a positive and negative space of the whole thing once it's done. But then maybe I'm filling in sections of it with detail. Or sometimes like writing, it starts with a baseline. Sometimes with art, it starts with a, like a really specific thing, but I don't know what the rest of rest of it's going to be or sometimes it's like oh i want to make something that's like a mixture of like paint and string you know or like i want to write something where jeremy plays bass clarinet and matt plays prophet like mm-hmm. so it starts from different points mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like multi-pronged yeah. all the time thinking about your elements and your things that are available yeah and then choosing a mix that's interesting to you and going from there. Right. Let's hear Alchemy Melt with Tilt.
Alchemy melt with tilt, not on tilt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of observations for me that also come from having you heard to talk having heard you talk about your process just the writing sounds like it's coming from improvisation and the improvisation sounds like it's coming from the writing and i'm sure that's one of the goals yes. of it is to remove those boundaries but when you write these really complex scores are you already thinking in advance what's going to happen in the improvisation or uh, sometimes and sometimes not. Sometimes we figure out how to improvise on it in a completely different way than I would have thought of while writing it. But it's always structurally based, the improvisation. It sounds to me like... Sometimes it's totally free. Sometimes there, yeah, it is there's the rare moment where it's free. Well, on Alchemy it's... Melt, the section... So there's three composed sections. Mm -hmm. Actually, they're, they're all completely free mm -hmm. other than like the transition moments where you're mm -hmm. and that's still f free because you can kind of get there get into it anyway right right it's free within a framework right but we often are playing the material from the tune in the free sections i mean really it's still kind of a old school approach you play the tune and you improvise with the material of the tune right it's just the material's pretty different and also the way you use the material is different. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I guess. It yeah. seems like that's part of your process. Would that be fair to say? I sure, mean, totally. In a way, it's like super integrated more than a lot of composers in the fact that some of the ways you're coming up with the compositional elements are based on your improv improvised ideas. Yeah. And what you're improvising is purely based on the materials you've written without any formal instructions on how to use those materials. Yeah. So going back and forth between so-called improvising and so-called composing, it's not as stark of a contrast in practice. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah, I would agree with that. So you have to have like very special people to play it. Yeah, right? well, fortunately, I'm surrounded by them here. Jeremy Viner, Matt Mitchell, Adam Hopkins. Yeah. You also play vibes on the record. A little bit, Some yeah. of it's overdubbed, some of it is live. Yeah. Um, but you also did some electronics pre- and post-production, right? Yeah, like, for instance, the, the end of Alchemy Melt there, I, I programmed in Finale uh -huh. as and like exported it as MIDI. Mm. And then Matt took that content, kept the content the same, but kind of crafted the sounds. So Matt's right. really like the electronics person. But, and it seems to come and go and sometimes gets a little, like it sounds like it's wandering away from the specific pre-composed element and then wandering back. Yeah. So in, in uh, the end of Alchemy Melt, the there's sort of a like a pattern to the rhythmic material and it's it's basically is increasing the subdivisions if we're going to talk technically about it it's it's sort of uh it's say that again increasing the subdivisions this, it's so that like the the backbeat like there's a backbeat that stays the same mm -hmm. and then the subdivisions gradually change from fives to sixes to sevens to eights to nines it actually goes like five six seven six seven eight nine eight and then the next one that it would be hap happens in the electronic section in that uh -huh. coda like yeah. it sounds really crazy but it's still the same pattern it's oh, just crazy because the subdivisions are getting so fast and it's more it's, it's the same uh numerical procedure but now the computer's exactly handling. just sort of like this this could continue forever this could just keep going and something that would be very very difficult to physically perform but that the computer can kind of handle yeah no problem sure yeah wow that is very cool is that well i mean I, I, it brings me to the question of technology I mean, when you're writing, how much are you using the computer at the beginning of the process? Or would you say it, it starts on paper and then 
gets entered in and then gets messed around with? The only capacity that I use a computer for is notating in finale and sometimes if I'm if I want to record something and then transcribe it I'll use audacity or oh. I, I mean these days I'll do it on my on my it's not on really a smartphone I, I, ha- phone. I have a flip phone but I have like an old smartphone I it's smart enough it's smart it's smart enough to record <laughs> my terrible singing and stuff so wow yeah. You record your singing and then you transcribe it. Sometimes this wow. this is like this is not a normal compositional process for me. It's just like maybe once yeah. every ten tunes uh-huh. I'll sing uh-huh. something against That's a metronome a so I can yeah. focus on how it feels, mm-hmm. and then I'll like think about where I'm actually placing the beats against the metronome mm-hmm. after the fact. Yeah. So that helps, I and mean, that's kind of where some of the rhythms come from a lot. From vocalizing against a singing. metronome, yeah. So you're, you're it's, it comes from something that you're feeling, mm-hmm. but then how do you actually notate the feel of it? Wow. And that's and and your charts are is it finale you're using? Yeah. Or the notation is is pretty intense. We may post some on the on the website. We may not. If you <laughs> give us our. Maybe. Or your blessing. We'll <laughs> see if we can post a page or two. But uh, is that? Does I'm almost curious about this. Does, does is that notation coming at the end of the process? Uh, or is that mm, part of the process? It's part of the. I mean, I notate stuff as I go. Uh huh. I mean, I do varying amounts of sort of pre-composed work, just manipulating stuff. But I'm always kind of. Yeah, I'm, I'm notating throughout the process usually. So jotting first in the notebook, but then as it becomes firmed up, starts going in finale. Exactly. And yeah. then you would work on it with that, like you might play along to a finale sequence as it's getting notated, or. Uh, I mean, I don't. W- once I'm going into finale, I kind of. Well, it's different every time, so it's hard to say. Yeah, fair and, enough. And sometimes it's it's like if I don't have staff paper around, like if yeah. I'm traveling, it's uh-huh. like direct brain to finale, like unreasonable right. optimism. Entering it in. Yeah, I remember that. Like that one was just like hmm. I just had my computer, so I was just going. Wow, interesting. Um, you have this project called Snark Horse, where. I guess it's you and Matt are doing the writing. Yeah. And you told me that all the pieces are one bar long. Yeah, although we might we might stop telling people that because it sounds too gimmicky and it doesn't really matter. And we oh, might, I thought you we were going to say like Twitter, you were going to extend it to two bars. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did wait? Did we? Did, did we? Did somebody say that on Twitter? No, no. I just oh. thought of it. It used to be 140 characters. Now it's 280. Oh, yeah, exactly. But that I you see. guys, I've been talking to I Matt about this joke. project for some years because we travel together. Right, right. But I like the idea of, of one bar. And uh, you haven't recorded it yet, but I'm, I'm curious to hear it. Yeah. It That's in- a very different kind of process, right? Yeah. It's, oh. it's kind of cool because if it's only one bar, yeah. you can kind of get away with anything if you're repeating it enough, because if you repeat it enough, it starts to sound normal. It's like its own groove. It's almost it's almost like you're making the listener practice the music with you over and over huh. if you're looping a bar. Wow. So if it's really complex, yeah, you're going to be able to hear it and process it because you're hearing it over and over enough. Right. But we're I mean we're not just I don't, for well, anyone. You're also improvising. Yeah, we're we're improvising and yeah. we play with all these different people that will yeah. pick out inner voices and make up find different things going on within it and we're pretty free with them sometimes the bars have forms within themselves or we'll like mm-hmm. alternate between two bars like we'll put them together to make a bigger piece or we'll just right. improvise in and out of them we'll pair them we'll put them in groups of different numbers of bars so we try to like make different form possibilities in the in the bigger sense of the set I'd like to see a uh, snark horse rehearsal. Oh, yeah. Usually a lot of the time someone just comes over and it's like half an hour and we just play through them a little bit and we don't improvise that much because that just, we play with people we've improvised with already a lot. So that aspect is always all right. I had that band with um, Susie Ibarra and Mark Rebo where we played uh, a piece called New Sanctuary and the pieces, it it was one line. So it was like eight and a half by 11 letter size paper and each 
piece was one staff length, and so that was translating to different numbers of bars and different amounts of material. Nice. And I found that, um, yeah, it was really fun, but it was also, it sounds to me like maybe a little more material than you guys are dealing with, which, you know, is an admirable limitation. But at the same time, enough that maybe it was more challenging because we sort of had to, we couldn't just play it over and over again. Right, right. It was right. like you, we had to get in and play it a few times and get out and go do something and find where it was leading it to, leading us to. Yeah. And so I, that was a part of my writing process was how can I give just enough information to, you know, give somebody a, a hint of infinite pathways forward. Yeah. Is that how you guys work on it or? It's, or yeah, it is, say, it is sort of like the, the thing with just enough information to get some, get to some, something more interesting in the improvising than if you were giving zero information. It's also the, ch the challenge, the, the one bar challenge is also interesting of itself. It really just started with Matt and I sending mm -hmm. bars back and forth it was this funny thing like he wrote yeah. a bar of music called slarm biffle or something totally mm -hmm. silly and then it was i sent something back that i uh -huh. like and then it's what like a, form do you send them in is it oh just like emailing like a pdf or an mp3 or something like so e sometimes audio but sometimes just yeah or sometimes both so you can like score. hear it and see it wow sounds fun yeah and your studio is pretty close to Matt's. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you guys play together a lot. It's great. You know, I I hadn't heard Dustin Carlson's record that you played on, and you sent me a track, and it's oh, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, let me play a little bit of that. So this, what's the name of the album? Air Ceremony. Air Ceremony, and this track is called For Your Safety and Convenience. Yeah. Dustin Carlson. So that's Dustin Carlson's record. He's the guitar player for your safety and convenience. And uh, that's just one of the side musician things you're involved in now. Um, you talk about improvisation without limitations. I saw it in an interview you gave. Oh. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting because it's, you know, always one of the things that we think about. And uh so many different kinds of limitations and I've always been of the mind that we should be seeking out new sorts of limitations in order to grow past them. Yeah. You feel like when you're playing on all of these side musician projects that that's part of the challenge? I think, yeah, I think I play with a lot of like-minded musicians where that's a common goal we all have is hmm. to be free no matter how, no matter what the music content is as far as difficulty or form or those kinds of things well also style wouldn't you say sure and, and by style i mean sort of you know glancing references to genre or tradition or lineage or heritage yeah like not having any gaps like kind of being able to do anything maybe is that what you mean as far as like with styles i i think yeah i think so i mean i i you know it's interesting because 
you're playing in this new project of mine and we'll be doing some touring together. And I had heard you play in a number of situations and the music that I'm writing is not like anything I've ever heard you do. And then when I gave it to you, I was sort of like apologetic. Like, I'm sorry, it's, <laughs> it's the music is really simple. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like that sort of was the thing that made me want to invite you in was this, you know, here's another challenge of yeah. getting past a way of doing something that's different. Yeah. It's yeah. That's seemed like if anyone, you would be up for it. Totally. Of course. And I, I think it'll be cool as we, as we play more to like play the tunes, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll go all different places. They're going to open up. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, Dustin's music is also pretty challenging musicianship wise to go back to that word sure how why how why i, I don't want to like <laughs> put you guys in a scene but yeah i mean i dustin i think he's you know he's just writing what he's hearing uh-huh i i know he kind of writes i think he writes at his instrument a lot and i, th I think he kind of is kind of singing some of the stuff as he's hmm. thinking of it. Like I know he's, it's definitely an, e there's a, an ear component with him. That's really strong. I mean, he has that way about everything. Like he learned all these monk tunes and, uh, we, we played them on a gig and I was really into the way he was playing them. And he was like, Oh yeah, I learned them all completely by ear. And it's like, Oh, well that makes sense. You, you have these internalized. And I, th hmm. I think that kind of approach is it's still in his more complex music. Like hmm. it's coming from a place where he's, he's hearing it and it's feeling internalized. It. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he's also trying like stuff to, to push himself and open up his ears. Is he giving you written charts? Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely. Yeah. And I noticed you write charts for yourself too. Uh, oh, the thing I showed you that had a notated drum part. Yeah. So there's, there's two tracks on mannequins that have that. Most of the time I don't do it, but uh -huh. in, in those uh -huh. cases I had a specific reason. Hmm. One mm -hmm. was on Cardiac Logic because we it had to line up with the electronic version. I had to play the exact same thing as programmed for it to like mess with the crossfade. Right. So there, there's like little reasons like that when it makes sense. Where you write it and then you're able to sight read it and play it. Yeah. I don't know how you do that. I I can't I can't read my own music <laughs> and I play it from memory because I can't read it and I rarely write apart for myself. Yeah. Because well, I just find it's too difficult to be reading it and making the music at the same time. Only in my own stuff. Sure. I'm happy to read other people's It music. is. You know, it, like I, I sometimes even with really complex music, I'll try to memorize it just yeah. so I can have my brain 100% right, in right. the listening mode while I'm playing. That thing that you showed me would be very, very difficult to memorize, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just, there's a point where it's familiar enough where you don't have to think about it too much. Uh -huh, you're just uh -huh. kind of looking at it, and it, it's right. autopilot enough, the reading process, that you're listening just as much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if, if I'm not memorizing something, I, I'm always still trying to be in that place. And that, that's a skill totally. in itself, just to be able to read but not be thinking about that aspect. Yeah. To really have your head in the, like you're improvising and making music place my favorite example of that is always joey baron playing a really tricky john zorn piece and then realizing after the fact that he was looking at the wrong chart oh yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's that's sight reading for yeah me. <laughs> um yeah i i think that's really interesting to have that relationship with somebody else's music as well as with your own and those challenges musically that you're talking about. I don't want to say that there's a scene, but you know, you're also playing on Matt Mitchell's projects, several of them, one of them, a pouting grimace. We're going to hear a track. There's this new band that I haven't heard yet that I can't wait to hear that you're playing on. And Matt, Mitchell, you know, he's a friend of the pod. He's I interviewed him some years back for this series and and it was interesting hearing him talk about his music. 
I don't I don't know if I would say that the procedures are similar or not, but the complexities and the challenges are sound like of a piece. Am I off base on that? We uh yeah, when Matt composes, a lot of the time he tells me every step that's happening because huh. he's excited about it and he gets yeah. really over-caffeinated and uh-huh. it's really... It's, Sounds it's really good. Funny. It's like, oh yeah, I took this and I, I transposed it up a minor second and then I took the left hand and I transposed it this way and right. then I took the rhythms from this and, I did, and I'm like, yeah. oh wow, it's just like a hundred steps of pre-composing materials. <laughs> but yeah, so, so sometimes there's similar stuff that I do and sometimes it's totally different, so a mixture right but in terms of you know the 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 metric rubs that are going on and oh music. we're into a lot of the same yeah. rhythmic material that's that's just like a common thing that we're both into we'll like shed polyrhythms that. together and stuff uh-huh yeah and with kim I hear that on too. the scene right kim cass yeah other people writing i mean dan weiss's music oh, is very polyrhythmic yeah a rich. lot of people are using it specifically we'll actually like practice polyrhythms together though like, yeah, like as a I trio see. or a duo sometimes. Yeah, cool. Um, let's play a little bit of Matt's record from A Pouting Grimace. This is Brim. <laughs> So that's uh, Matt Mitchell's record, A Pouting Grimace, and the piece is called Brim, and uh, Kate Gentile is playing drums, and uh, we're still talking about music here and uh, wondering if there's anything that we forgot to mention as we went along. Yeah, I guess uh, we were talking about like different paths people take uh-huh. and how people make things work now, and... Uh, Adam Hopkins, the the bass player on my record, Mannequins, mm-hmm. just started a label, and I think like stuff like this is happening more and more as people try to figure out how to put their music out. Amen. And uh, Dustin's record that you played that track from Air is Ceremony. on it. It's it's out of your head records, mm-hmm. and he's got a really cool setup going with all the records coming with like stickers and special art features, and it's. This is Adam Hopkins running this label. Yeah, yeah. Out of Your Head Records. Is it outofyourheadrecords.com? Uh probably. Okay, well. I'm sure yeah, it's I'm sure it's the first it. thing will that will come up if you search for Out of Your Head Records, but That sounds great. Are they doing vinyl releases too or Uh I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, everybody check it out. Cool new label. <laughs> yeah. I mean I just think that's the way it's going. I was really impressed when I saw Mannequins on Bandcamp, how clear and well put together it was and, and worth the visit. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, that, that was me. That wasn't... Speed doesn't design the... Regardless. Yeah. I mean, Skrull is the platform. And yeah. you were the one who put that thing up. And I think that's just the way this music is getting sustainably documented and released. Bandcamp is kind of the, the place now. Glad to hear in, you say that. In my opinion. Everybody, Greenleaf is big in Bandcamp. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it is, um, and it's community. It's bringing people together that are interested in seeing this go on, creative music and musicians, and have yeah. a sustainable way of of doing it. And it's the ultimate answer to somebody that asks you why you're not particularly fond of Spotify. Oh yeah. <laughs> So as far as mannequins, is that a band? Is that the name of a band? Is there going to be a new Kate Gentile record? Yeah, the mannequins is that band, but the the next project is with uh, Kim Cass on bass. That's sort of an extension of the same kinds of things, like music for a quartet, uh, and that'll probably get recorded late this year or next year. And you're still writing the music right now? Yes. Or, I, I mean, there's there's about... There's a lot written so far, but there's a lot more coming. So it'll it'll be a probably a, a bigger project. 
bigger, more musicians, you mean? Or bigger, Prob- probably multi disc uh-huh. type of thing. I'm not sure exactly what yet, so I won't. But it will be under the name Mannequins. No, no, it'll have oh. it'll have a different name. I, I don't want it. I see. If I kept it the same, it would sound like I fired Adam or something, and he's one of so my it's... favorite bass players. So. Yeah, man, Adam. <laughs> so, you know. Kate Gentile Quartet. I'll, yeah, it's something like that. It, I'll probably call it something, but yeah. I don't have a name for it yet. Okay. But I, I like Sounds naming good. things. I like yeah. g- giving something a name. Things have names. Yeah. Things have names. Something that people, something that's even harder to pronounce than Gentile. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be touring together. You touring with Matt a little bit, I think. Uh, other things going on. What's happening? Um, the immediate future. And this is January 2019, so we'll timestamp this. But uh, oh yeah, uh, I don't know when does this. If you're, when if does you're this listening air? to this in 2020, <laughs> hopefully you have a new president and other things have changed. Ah yes. But <laughs> you'll just have a place to put whatever Kate is about to tell us about her. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm doing a, a three nights in a row at iBeam in May. Great dates, exact dates. Uh, it's in. I think it's twenty two to twenty four. I'll I'll have it on my website as it awesome. gets closer. I beam in Gowanus with my, and yeah. that'll be all new music with my quartet. And uh, in the immediate future, uh, Snark Horse is playing at the Jazz Gallery next week on the nineteenth. Okay, so that January nineteenth. I don't know when this airs. I'm hoping that this will be out a few days before then. If it's not, I apologize. <laughs> but all of these dates, kgentile.com, right? Yeah. Yeah great music thank you so much for making the time to talk about it thanks so much for having for me do this Dave putting so much energy and, and heart and dedication into the work it's it's just amazingly inspiring oh, thanks thank you looking forward to playing too yeah likewise great so we're gonna go out with this piece that's called Otto comma on alien shoulders thanks Kate thanks Dave